It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the promise this morning, amen.
seated. We serve a powerful, living God. Amen. He is mighty. He is powerful. And he is here. He is here. He is present this morning. Whether things go perfectly right or whether they don't, he is still here. And he still wants us to be very much aware of his presence this morning. As we go into a time of prayer, I just want to acknowledge that there's a lot going on in the life of the church. First of all, I just want to say hello. It is so good to see you all. It's so good to be back. I truly missed all of you. Like, it was just, it, it brought joy to my heart to be back in this building. I mean, to be honest, when I came back in the building, I was like, okay, I'm here. But then when I started seeing you guys, I got really excited. Um, it really is good to see all of you, and it's just... I'm thankful for my community. I'm thankful for my church family. And um, you guys are Jesus in the flesh. And I feel joyful when I'm around you. So thank you. Community is important. Let's not take it for granted. It's important. But anyway, so there's a lot going on in the life of the church today, uh, right now. And so as we go into a time of prayer, I just want to make you aware of some things that we can be praying about together this morning. This is a time for for corporate prayer where the body of Christ, we join together in lifting these things uh, to the Lord this morning. There are a lot of people in your church family who are sick with COVID right now. So um, we need to lift them up. Um, If you don't see someone here today, check on them. They may not all be out with COVID, but we do have several that that do have COVID right now. And so far, as as far as I know, everyone's doing okay, uh, but they are sick. And so, friends, let's be praying for our brothers and sisters who are sick. And and I know that there are people who have non-COVID related issues happening, um, but let's, let's be lifting them up and let's be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are not here today. Check up on them. Reach out to them if you don't see them. Let them know that you miss them and and find out how you can be praying specifically for them. There's a lot of people in the church that are going through a time of transition, a season of transition. We know the Frank Housers have transitioned to the Champaign area, so continue to lift them up in prayer as they look for a new church home. That's a, a big deal, for a believer, finding a church home where you feel welcome and loved and, and you can envision being a part of that community, pray that they find that um, and, and just be praying for that continued transition. Um, I know we have others that life is just changing for them right now. So let's be praying for those who are going through a season of transition. I know we have a lot of people, as I said, who just have health issues happening outside of covid Right, And so let's just be praying for those this morning as, you, as they come to mind, as the Lord puts them on your heart. Um, and I want to be praying this morning for, well, I haven't even, I, I could have shared this with you the week after we got back from assembly, but it was not on my mind that week. But I should have let you know that our Illinois district NMI president, um, her name was Sandy, and she passed away very suddenly uh, the week of district assembly. And so we all show up to district assembly and find out that she, uh, we knew she was sick, but we find out while we're there that she has passed away. And so 
First of all, I'll be praying for her family because it was very sudden um, and they're dealing with tremendous loss. Um, and so our district has been in transition trying to find a new um, Nazarene Missions International president for our district. And after uh, the, the council got together and met and discussed uh, who that ought to be, the NMI council ended up voting our very own Dan Reinhardt as the NMI president for our district. And so... I want to acknowledge that, but I want us to lift him and, and Janet up in prayer as, as we know this is something they're passionate about, but um, this is a very important component of who we are as, as the Church of the Nazarene. And so I would like to ask you to cover them in prayer, to cover Dan in prayer as he just embarks on this new journey where there's lots of unknowns. And it's a lot, as I can imagine, as you can imagine. So let's just be covering them in prayer. Uh, that God will do great things um, in terms of mission on our district and in our church. And I pray that we would support him in that role and that we would uh, step up and be a church that, that demonstrates how much, uh, how important Nazarene Missions International is. So lots to pray for this morning. There's so much more that I'm sure I don't even know, but sometimes it's good to just name the things that we need to be praying for. So would you join me in prayer and lift these things up this morning? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we just take a moment to soak up your presence and to just be aware, God, of just how present you are here with us this morning. God, may that be the thing that unites us here this morning, that we are not just people in a place. We are not just people in a church building, but we are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are gathered here for a purpose. And God, we are gathered here to worship you, to acknowledge your presence in our lives, and to open up ourselves before you this morning. God, we have named some things that are going on in the lives of those in our church. And God, we know that you already know each and every name, each and every family, and what their specific issues are this morning. So God, we just pray that you would draw near to those who not only are, are not able to be here with us here in person this morning, but those who are sick. God, would you touch them this morning God, you are a God who sees and you are a God who heals. We believe in the healing power that is in the name of Jesus. And so we pray for that healing power to meet our friends, to meet our brothers and sisters right where they are this morning. God, we just pray that those who are, are sick with COVID right now, Lord, God, I just pray that their symptoms would not worsen, but that they would continue to manage and get along. And I pray, God, that you would help them to come through this with no issues, Lord. God, we pray for those families who it just seems to be 
hitting us one by one very slowly. And I know for a lot of people, they are experiencing the COVID fatigue all over again in a new way. And so God, we just pray that you would be near to those who are just frustrated and tired, exhausted, discouraged. God, would you be with them? Would you renew their strength? God, we pray for those who, as we said, are are just going through a season of transition. There are many in our congregation that are entering into new phases of life, and, and you know each and every one of them, and we just lift those up this morning. God, that a season of, of transition and change can be exciting, but it can also be bittersweet. It can bring on new challenges, and, and God, it, it can just feel like a lot. And so we just pray that you would help those transitions to be seamless and smooth. God, would you be with those each and every step of the way as they, get, as they walk through a new season of life? God, we just pray for those who, who might be here or who might be um, watching online, who might not be here this morning, who are just discouraged, who just feel like they're, they're struggling. God, we go through those seasons of life where our hearts are just heavy and burdened, and maybe we know why, maybe we don't. But you see us, and I pray, God, that you would draw near to those who are hurting this morning. As we sang, may we drink from that living well that never runs dry, and may it be exactly what we need to quench and renew. Lord, I just thank you for the ways that you do that, sometimes without us even realizing it. You know exactly what we need before we even realize what we need, and you're always working And we thank you for that. God, we just pray um, for our district leadership. Lord, may we just lift them up more regularly. May we remember them as we remember that we are not alone, that we are a part of a a district body of, of local churches that are working together to further the kingdom of God. And as we work together to further your kingdom, God, we are... We are working towards reaching the lost, both in our backyards and around the world. And so, God, would you just continue to be with our district leadership, be with with Dan in this new role, and we just pray this morning, God, that you would give him wisdom, discernment. God, help him to, to see how you want to use him in this role. And may he be surrounded with a community of support, both from our district and from our local church. We are excited to see what you're going to continue to do in and through our faithfulness to the global mission of the church. God, finally this morning, as we open up your word, as always, God, would you speak to us exactly what we need to hear this morning. God, I pray that as we open up your word that that my voice would not be what is heard, but that it would be yours. God, we just pause and we very intentionally open our hearts. We submit 
to the teaching of your word and to your guidance this morning. May we remain open to what you have for us. God, we love you and we thank you for being a God who sees us, who hears us, who is interested, who wants to hear from his children, from his people. We thank you for that, Lord, that we can come to you and you're always there. God, we love you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. I'm going to give you the opportunity to open up um, your Bibles, your apps, whichever, to Luke chapter 9. And if you've been following along, if you've been here and, and kind of following along, we, you will remember we are walking through the Gospel of Luke this summer. And if you've really been paying attention, then you're probably wondering, hey, why are we in chapter 9? We've already passed chapter 9, and, and we've already been in other chapters after. And so I would say to you this morning that as I was planning the scripture passages for this series, or as I continued to do that, um, I noticed that Transfiguration Sunday, kind of the day that the Transfiguration of Christ is recognized on the church calendar, falls on this day. Um, it's actually August 6th, so it was yesterday on the church calendars. Transfiguration, the day of transfiguration is, is kind of how that's called. And so that would make today the day, if we wanted to acknowledge the transfiguration of Christ, this is the Sunday that we would do that. And so I was kind of holding on to that. And, and so we're backtracking just a bit to the transfiguration of Christ in Luke chapter 9. Before we jump into that, though, um, it's very important that we acknowledge what has happened before this point, before we read the main passage today, I want us to acknowledge uh, what has led up to this point and why that uh, makes it so significant. And it really helps us to understand, to better understand what the transfiguration of Christ really meant and what it means for us. And so we're going to back up just a bit. If you want to follow along, you don't have to, uh, but if you want to follow along, Start with, with Luke chapter 9, verse 18, and Jesus is with the disciples, and he asks them a, an important question. He's been journeying with them for some time at this point, and he, he asks them a very pointed question, and that question is, hey, who do the crowds say I am? What are people saying about me? What, who do people think I am? And so they respond, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others that you're just one of the prophets of long ago that has come back to life. It's an interesting response, right? And so then Jesus, is, he takes that in, but then he gets very pointed with this question. And he asks, what about you? I, I imagine him looking at the disciples, looking at each one of them, what about you? You've heard what others think and who others say I am, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's no surprise that Peter is one to speak up, and he says, you're God's Messiah. In other words, you are Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, and so that is an important answer, an important distinction that has just been made. But then we quickly see in Jesus' response that as he seemingly accepts this answer, this response from Peter, 
He then, it seems to me, he goes on to describe what it means that he is the Messiah. In other words, I imagine Jesus affirming, yes, I am the Messiah, you are correct, and now here's what that means. And he goes on to explain. And he says a lot of things, but for time's sake, I'm going to shorten it. But he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Shortly after is when he says something that we referenced a few weeks ago. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, in other words, uh, we really want to drive this point home for us, that, that Jesus is affirming, yes, he is the Messiah. Here's what it means that I am the Messiah, here's what you need to understand about my Messiahship, and now here's what it means to be my disciple, to be a follower and a disciple of me, Christ the Messiah. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And so this is important because it leads up to what we're going to read now. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able as we pick up in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, reading about the transfiguration of Christ. Luke says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we have read, I just kind of pointed this out to us, as we have read and as we continue to read and as we read here and now, one thing that we know and have picked up on at this point is that the disciples are still really unsure what it means to be disciples of Jesus of Christ the Messiah. The disciples are still really unsure about, remember I joked about this a few weeks ago, what this looks like. That's a very millennial phrase that we like to use a lot. And I imagine that that's what the disciples were asking is, hey, what does this look like? What does it look like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? 
And if you continue reading along, you will find that as soon as the disciples, the three disciples that were mentioned, and Jesus come down off the mountain, they are met with, it seems like the rest of the disciples, they're met with a father and his son, a child who is demon-possessed, And he comes before Jesus pleading with him, saying, Listen, I begged your disciples to drive this demon out of my child, but they couldn't do it. And so he's begging and pleading with Jesus to touch and and relieve his child from this demon possession. And Jesus, as you read, has a slight rebuke for the disciples. And this moment, along with so many others, continues to reveal to us that the disciples still don't fully grasp what this looks like or what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus, and I have no doubt he is lovingly and patiently working with the disciples, helping them to understand. And so if you're following along, you will see that he goes into it again, telling them what must happen to him. We won't go through all of that, but Luke specifically says that they didn't understand what all of this meant. And so just in case we were skeptical, it's confirmed. The disciples truly did not understand what all of this meant. What is happening? What just happened to Jesus? Why are we already down here? What is going on? They couldn't fully grasp. And according to Luke, I, I get this, they were too afraid to ask Have you ever felt afraid to ask a question that you really needed to ask, but you just were too embarrassed to raise your hand and ask the question? That was always me in school. I was always super thankful when somebody else asked the question that the rest of the class was wondering, or at least I was wondering. And that's kind of what we see in this moment that they, you know, later, I think they get more comfortable and they ask the really obvious but still valid questions. But here, they're too afraid to even ask. They're so overwhelmed and they don't understand it. And so the story goes on and this is again demonstrated clearly when an argument breaks out. I imagine that the disciples have just, some of them are picturing this moment of the transfiguration, which we're going to get back to. I'm not rushing past that, but they're thinking about the glory of Jesus and this argument breaks out among them about who among us is the greatest right? Like we've seen the glory of God in Jesus. Now I'm curious which one of us is the greatest. And that makes perfect sense, right? Because Jesus spent his life humbly serving others, lowering himself. It makes total sense that his disciples would argue about which one of them was the best, the highest, the greatest. Obviously that's sarcasm. But they've, again, it's reaffirmed that they haven't grasped it just yet. They don't understand what all of this means, what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the thing, that is okay. I'm not criticizing. I am not standing here in judgment this morning. I am acknowledging that that is simply what is happening. It's the reality for the disciples at this point. But I did wonder as I was thinking about all of this, man, it seems as though the disciples need to experience their own kind of transfiguration, right? Like they need to have a transfiguration of the heart, if you will. See, there are some key moments in the life of Jesus that we read in the gospels, that we read about in the gospels. And this moment of his transfiguration is one of those significant moments, 
right? You have Jesus' baptism, and that is a, a holy, sacred, significant moment as Jesus is stepping into ministry. He has just been baptized by the one who prepared the way for him, and he is audibly affirmed by his father. And this moment, similar to Jesus' baptism, is a significant moment as the glory of Jesus has just, in a way, been revealed. Scholars talk about this moment and they say that this is a focal point in the revelation of the kingdom of God. That in this moment, the kingdom of God is revealed both by looking back at the, what we understand as the Old Testament. The disciples would be thinking about the law and the prophets when seeing Moses and Elijah, right? Those, two, those are two central figures in the Old Testament, and they represented for the, for the people of Israel, for the disciples, the law and the prophets. And so that's a huge, significant moment. And so the, the transfiguration of Jesus looks back to the law and the prophets, points to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, just as he said. But it also looks forward to Jesus' death, to his crucifixion and his death, to his resurrection it looks forward to his ascension, and ultimately, it looks forward to his coming again. That is, in a nutshell, what is happening in this significant, holy, sacred moment. And Peter, God bless Peter, he misses it, right? He totally misses it. Not criticizing. I'm with Peter. He, he misses it, and, and he wants to, he, he kind of misses the significance of what is happening, that this is meant to reveal to you who Jesus is, that God is affirming him, that he is headed in a direction that you're not going to be too excited about, but this is what must happen. And Peter is just focused on the fact that here is Jesus, his Lord, his Messiah, his Savior, his Rabbi, his teacher, his friend. Here's Moses, the Moses. And in the Elijah, perhaps the greatest prophet of all time, here we all are together. And Peter just wants to set up camp and stay here on the top of this mountain in the glory of God and these three people. He wants to stay here forever. And it sounds pretty amazing, right? I'm convinced you, we cannot fathom the glory of this moment. We can imagine we can, can imagine what this moment must have been like, but we can't even begin to fathom what this moment must have been like for Peter and James and John. Who wouldn't? Here's my question. Who wouldn't want to set up a shelter and remain in what must have been an incredible moment, experiencing the glory of Christ in a new and powerful way? And it makes it pretty clear to me then why, why God had to affirm and declare, this is my son, and I need you to listen to him. I imagine that as like a subtle rebuke to Peter, like don't listen to him, listen to him, to Jesus. I don't know, that may be short-sighted, but that's kind of what I imagine. And so we consider this moment, the moment of Christ's transfiguration in the context of all that has happened before and what happens after and as we consider that, I want to ask us a question this morning. Isn't it easy, at least for me, isn't it easy to understand how tempting it is to stay or remain in the glorious mountaintop moments? Now, hear me say this. Again, 
I don't think we could fully understand or even begin to fathom what this moment was. And while I have experienced mountaintop moments in my own walk with Christ, I'm not comparing them to this moment necessarily, right? Like we have not experienced the kind of mountaintop moment that the disciples have just experienced. But we can sympathize and say, yeah, I've had those moments where I've been on the mountaintop and I have experienced the power and the presence and the glory of God in a unique way that maybe I don't see or feel every single day. For me, church camp was always one of those moments. At least as a teenager, coming home from church camp, that was what it felt. It felt like I'm having to come down off of this mountain and it was just so great being with sometimes hundreds of other teenagers who just wanted more of Jesus because I didn't see that at school and you don't see that very often. And so when you're surrounded by other teenagers who love Jesus as much as you do and who just worship him wholeheartedly, you see their lives being changed and transformed. That is a powerful moment and you don't want to leave. And so I dreaded coming home from church camp because for me, it felt like having to walk down from the glorious mountaintop. You know, what surprised me is that my ordination felt like a mountaintop moment. I was surprised at how much that felt like a mountaintop moment. I mean, kneeling there before this circle of elders who raised me from a teenager, who encouraged me as I pursued a call to ministry, as I was surrounded by family and friends who were there because they believed in me and they affirmed God's calling. And as Carla Sumberg, a general superintendent, placed her hand on my head and ordained me how they did in scripture, that is a powerful, sacred moment. And I was overwhelmed and undone. And man, walking down off that platform and back into the regular everyday mundane, that was hard because that was such an amazing moment. What have been, what, what have those moments looked like for you? How do you remember some of those mountaintop experiences? Maybe for some of you, you think back to revivals. Maybe you can think back to some really life-changing revivals that took place. And I'll speak Nazarene language for a moment. Think tent meetings, camp meetings, tent revivals. I hear about those all the time. I don't think that's just a Nazarene thing, but, but I think it is um, a Nazarene thing for sure. Think back to those moments. I think sometimes during those revivals, you just experience the power and the glory of God in a new and fresh way. Understand when I'm talking about mountaintop experiences, I'm not saying that we don't experience the glory of God every day. And that's kind of a big point that I'm going to make, but I, I just feel like I need to say that now. But these are different, right? They're special. They're, they seem to be sacred in that moment. I think mountaintop moments can happen in ordinary places like your kitchen, around the table, in your living room. For us, it happened in our car when, when we learned from Nora and Jonah that she had just helped Jonas ask Jesus into his heart when they were alone in children's church. 
just the two of them, and, and he wanted her to pray with him, and so she did. And, and hearing about that and imagining it, feeling slightly sad that I missed it, but, but just imagining, like, God in that moment with my kids when I wasn't there, like, that was a powerful mountaintop moment happened in the backseat of, of our car. Mountaintop moments can happen in this space. They can happen in a Sunday morning service. I, I think if we come fully prepared to receive something special from God, he's ready to show up and give to us what we're looking for, right? And so I think if we come in unity together in one accord, we've gotten rid of the bitterness, the, the distractions, the, the wondering what people are thinking as I'm worshiping that whole, like I think if we all come together before the Lord, just desperate for more of him, he moves in a powerful, unique way. And that can feel like one of those mountaintop moments. Maybe you recall a season of life that felt like that. Maybe a season of life in the church where it just seemed like, man, there was so much growth and life and you, you witnessed families coming to the Lord. You saw people saved and, and sanctified and, and consecrated before God, giving God all of them. You saw their lives change. Maybe your mountaintop moment has happened over a mission trip when you've been serving outside of our country, outside of our of what we know is home. Maybe you've experienced a mountaintop moment when you witnessed someone's salvation, when you've witnessed the healing, the miraculous healing of someone, when you've witnessed a baptism, when prayers are answered. These are all examples of those mountaintop moments that we have in the, in the life of a believer, where God is seen and felt in powerful ways. You know what I'm talking about, right? The glory of God is palpable. It's just extraordinary. And in a way, I think these moments are sneaky because in a way, it seems like this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been working toward as a follower of Jesus. And I just want to push back against that for a moment because as incredible as those mountaintop moments are, as much as we long for those mountaintop moments and as much as we don't want them to pass by too quickly, like if we're being really honest, the hard thing about mountaintop moments is we don't want it to end. We just want to stay in the glory of God we just want to continue to feel the presence of God in a, in a unique and powerful way. And for many, coming back down off the mountaintop means back to reality. And for many of us, reality in the everyday mundane is really not exciting. And for some of us, it's really, really hard. It's back to the hard work of, of showing up for those around you, relentlessly just showing up for them, loving them when they make it so hard. It's back to the hard work of, of ministering to those to which we've been called, praying for them relentlessly, even though we don't see any change, even though we don't see anything happening, even though we are not seeing what we long to see. Coming back down off the mountain means walking through the muck and the mire with people. For many, coming back down from the mountaintop means 
facing their battle with things like anxiety, depression, health issues, chronic pain, family dysfunctions, difficult relationships. And it can feel sometimes when you're walking down from the mountaintop, it feels like you're walking into a deep, dark valley. Have you been there? Am I alone? Some might even confess. There may be some of you who might even confess. If we were being really honest, we could say, you know what? The more open I am to the glory of God, the more difficult things seem to be at times. The more open I am to God, the more valleys I seem to find. Here's how N.T. Wright would say that. He would say, sometimes it feels like the more open we are to God and to the different dimensions of God's glory, the more we seem to be open to the pain of the world. And I get it. Coming down from the mountaintop, it's really difficult. And for a lot of us, it's even pain-filled. And I think the disciples get it. You remember what happened as soon as they, I mean, come on, they come down from this mountain where they've just witnessed Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. The glory of God is revealed in him physically. They can see it, right? And they come back down and they are immediately faced with a father who is exasperated and desperate for his demon-possessed child to be healed, to be touched and to be healed. Like it doesn't get any more worldly and ugly than that. Am I right? Coming down from such a glorious experience to that? That's pretty rotten. That feels like the short end of the stick. And yet it seems really important that each synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who who explain the transfiguration, who tell the story, each, each gospel pairs the transfiguration with the story of the demon-possessed child. Coincidence? I think there's an important connection there for us to make. Because what I really want us to understand this morning, what I feel challenged with when I read this passage, is that, friends, following Jesus is so much more than just living for these mountaintop moments that feel really good. We love these moments. Those moments are great. I have many and I love to think about them. But following Jesus is so much more than being reduced down to just those mountaintop moments. Here's the rest of what N.T. Wright says. I shared with you, the more open we are to God and to the difficult dimensions of God's glory, the more we seem to be open to the pain of the world. These mountaintop experiences, he says, are never given to us for our own sake, but so that as we are equipped by them, God can use us within his needy world. He says, we too often find it completely bewildering to know how to understand all that God is doing and saying, both in our times of great joy like the mountaintops, and in times of great sadness, like the valleys, the everyday, ordinary, mundane. Friends, this morning, we need to ask a very important question. Like Peter, we must answer the question, 
that Jesus is asking, which is, who do you say I am? Imagine Jesus is asking you this morning, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And if the answer is Savior, Lord of my life, Messiah, then we need to understand that this is what it looks like to follow him. And we need to understand that he is Jesus, Lord and Savior, both on the mountain and off the mountain. Both from those moments where we are on the mountaintops to the valleys, to lowest, darkest valleys, and everything on all times in between. Because he is present in those moments more than we know. I'm convinced more than we know he is present and there with us. And yes, it maybe seems like the mountaintop moments are few and far between. And yes, we long for more of them. But I would argue that perhaps the most beautiful aspect of these moments, the mountaintop moments, is that they serve as a foretaste of the glory and majesty of God, but they also remind us of the withing of Jesus, if you will, that he is with us on the mountaintop, but he is with us in the valleys as well. And those mountaintop moments, if we let them, will help us to persevere through the valleys, through the wilderness, through the everyday ordinary, and mundane, through the difficult, through the painful, assured that Jesus is with us each and every step of the way. As we close this morning, we confess that like Peter, we long to remain where Jesus' glory seems to be the most dazzling, shining the brightest and leaves us feeling all those warm and fuzzy feelings. And mountaintop moments are great, but let us not forget that Christ and his glory remains with us even as we come down from the mountain facing the valleys of hardships of this world. And you know what I'm finding? After almost 34 years of living and ministry, I'm finding that in this life, there are many mountaintop moments, don't get me wrong, But the majority of the time, I find myself walking through the everyday, ordinary, mundane, sometimes even really painful, stressful moments, but where God is undoubtedly and absolutely present and working and bringing the kingdom of God. One of those examples, it's been almost one year ago that we learned of of what happened in Kabul, Afghanistan, almost one year ago this month. We watched as the U.S. presence left Afghanistan, and we watched news coverage, we read stories. We grieved and mourned and lamented at what this meant for so many Afghan families as they would deal with the fallout and the control of the Taliban. And praise be to God that we witnessed the church step up and step in in amazing, remarkable ways. And one of the ways that we saw that was through organizations like, we know Nazarene Compassionate Ministries was at work, but we had the opportunity through someone in our congregation 
to participate in, in what Samaritan's Purse was doing. And that was, they had an Afghan resettlement program and they were encouraging churches and organizations to be willing to commit to helping an Afghan family who might come to their area, wrapping them with support and financially supporting them as they come and resettle and relocate in our country. And you know what's incredible is that I brought this along with, with the person who was leading this with Sarah, and we brought this and said, hey, would you be open to this? And you all said yes. You said yes. We will do that because this is what the church needs to be doing in this moment. The church needs to be the hands and feet of Jesus for those whose lives have just been turned upside down. And that's when we embraced the opportunity to be open to a, a, adopting an Afghan family that might come here, and we were committed to them financially. We were committed to helping them as they resettle in a new and foreign place. We knew it would be hard. We didn't really know fully what to expect, but we were committed. And I just want to update you and share with you this morning that that process was was long and rigorous. There was a lot of, of applications we had to fill out, a lot of little things we had to do behind the scenes. And, and it also, you're dealing with the variables of where these families want to go. They have some say in the matter, and, and they choose where they want to go. And so there's all these variables, and, and as it turned out, we learned recently that all those families had been placed and that Samaritan's Purse was no longer placing uh, families, Afghan families. And so we just got that update a few weeks ago, and it was like good news because they'd all been placed. Like, that's great news. But it also felt a little bit like, oh man, we were so excited and ready to support and embrace that. And so it just kind of felt like I was really dreading sharing that update with, with you all. But, but God, I uh, was recently put in touch with someone that many, most of you know probably really well, former youth pastor, uh, two youth pastors ago, Matt Sulia. And Matt Sulia, for those of you who don't know, is the executive director of Forge Flint, which from what I understand is uh, a Nazarene Compassionate Ministries-based ministry. And Matt serves as an English instructor for members of Afghan's family, Afghan families. And there was one uh, family in particular who he had been working with. And as the events unfolded last August... This particular family, who Matt knows really well, who knows, he knows them personally, they faced a very real threat of severe persecution and harm from the Taliban. Like, this family, whose details I won't share while we're live streaming, but this family knew of friends and family members who had been found and killed by the Taliban. It was a very real as you can imagine, and dangerous situation for them. And so there was this opportunity for this family. A lot of that was due to Matt Sulia's um, determination to help this particular family who he calls friend. And there was this opportunity for them to be resettled through a, a private sponsorship, stay with me, through an organization called World Renew and a local Nazarene church in Windsor, Ontario, Okay. And so Matt has been spending pretty much the last year figuring out the details of what it would take to bring this family, who consists of 10 family members, and resettle them in this particular area in Windsor, Ontario. And so just this week, just this week, he found out that the cost 
to relocate and resettle this family will be $110,000. And so he's reaching out to local Nazarene churches who he has relationships with, and he's asking them if they'd be willing to participate and support the resettlement and relocation of this family who he happens to know really well. Do you see how God works all things out? I, I was amazed, truly. I was amazed because I was dreading having to share with you guys, hey, this is good news, but it's also hard because we were really excited about this. But then God opens up this door and gives us this opportunity to still show up and support another Afghan family who has this great need. And so for the next six weeks, Matt's going to be continuing to raise these funds. Again, it's $110,000 and 100% of those donations will directly provide needs for this Afghan family, and they have to be in place before this case is, is fully processed. And so I just want to invite you to not lose your, your passion to support what we want to do for these Afghan families and for this one in particular. So what we're gonna, I, ju I just want to open that up to you. I know some of you had already given financially to the Afghan resettlement program. You are going to be contacted and, and given the option of what to do with that money that you've already given. It's just been sitting in an account until we were ready to use that, right? And so you'll be contacted about what you want to do with that gift, but I want to urge you and encourage you to be willing to give that gift to what we are supporting now, and that is the relocating of this family. And, and those of you who are just waiting, which is totally fine, that made perfect sense to just kind of wait and see what happens and what the need is, and then you'll give. I know a lot of you are doing that. I want you, and I urge you, to give toward the relocating of this family. And so um, be looking for more details in the newsletter on what, you know, like how to note your gift. But I think for now, if, if you still want to put like Afghan resettlement, you could do that and just know that that's where all of that will be going. But I just think it's beautiful how, how God is using a former member and staff member from this church and how he has made a way for your paths to cross and support what Matt is doing. And so I really hope that you will do that. All right, I know some of us are feeling antsy just as we are hearing, right? And so I want to transition. I want to invite the praise team to come back. And as you think about kind of all that we've talked about this morning, I just want to remind you that while it feels like the majority of your life is spent walking through the everyday, ordinary, mundane, mucky, pain-filled reality of life, I want to remind you that Jesus is so present with us. That's what I want you to leave with this morning. And that even though we see things that are devastating in this world, like the crisis in Afghanistan that continues to be a crisis. Like, there are still families that are trying to find a way here. They're trying to meet the criteria that needs to be met in order to come here. So that's still the turmoil that's happening in Ukraine still. Like, it's a lot, right? It's a lot, and it feels overwhelming, and we can just feel like, oh, the mountaintop, where's the mountaintop? But he's present, and he's here. And one of the ways we are reminded of the presence of God is through communion, through coming to the table together, which is what we're going to prepare to do in a moment. I don't know if you pay attention to our Facebook page, but 
Nikki here, she posts some fantastic stuff to our Facebook page, and, and this week she posted a one-minute video of N.T. Wright explaining kind of the beauty of communion, or another way that we call that, another term for that is the Eucharist. And I love how, how she shared that video and how N.T. Wright explains that the meaning behind that word Eucharist, it comes from a Greek word meaning thanksgiving, which comes from a Greek word that means grateful, And that's what we are, when we come to this table, we come with thanksgiving and with a grateful heart. And it's this interesting moment where we all come, we get in a line, we come forward, we grab elements, and the elements are prayed over and blessed. And it's kind of this peculiar thing we do where we don't believe that these elements are the body and blood of Christ, but we believe that they represent, and and sometimes we wrestle with what does that mean exactly? What is the significance of this moment? And I loved how N.T. Wright just reminded us that the regular taking and receiving of communion represents this moment where we are coming together and kind of taking on the struggles and the troubles that we all face. Right? And like as you come forward and as I serve you those elements, I am very well aware that you're bringing your heavy struggles and troubles to this table. You're bringing the reality of your everyday mundane to this table. And it's kind of an interesting feeling because there's nothing I can do personally to make it better. Right? Like there's nothing I can do and it's not just going to magically go away because you received communion and yet... The beauty of the Eucharist or of communion is that something happens when the body of Christ gathers around the table and receives what Jesus wants to give us. It's powerful. We are open to what God is doing in our lives and we're acknowledging his goodness as we come to this table and we are acknowledging our need for him. So that's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to be leading us in song. We'll be singing, Lord, I need you. And first what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to those who are not able to come forward. And after I have served those who are not able to come forward, you will be dismissed by an usher and your row can come. And you will receive. And I just want to encourage you, come with open hands to receive. Not what Nicole, Pastor Nicole has to give you, but what Christ wants to give you. And hold on to your elements. Make your way back to your seat and we will all partake together. So I'm going to ask Rick to come and help me this morning. And I'm going to ask those of you who are not able to come forward to please raise your hand. And I will bring the elements to you. Please stand together as we sing. You can sing this with us.
We pray this morning, Lord, that in a way that only you can do, that you would be very present as we show up, as we come to this table empty and drained and dry and broken and weary. God, Lord Jesus, would you fill us with more of you? We thank you for this that we received this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, on the night our Lord and Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. May you take and eat and be thankful this morning. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant that has been shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let it preserve you blameless until everlasting life. Friends, may you take and drink and be thankful this morning. Thanks be to God. Will you remain standing as we sing this song together this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. seated. If you have any other questions about, um, about this family, I have more that I can share with you. I actually have a very detailed uh, paper that shares more about this family. Um, and so if you're interested in, in learning just more of the particulars, you can certainly let me know. Um, and if you have any questions, if I didn't really cover all of that very clearly, please don't hesitate to ask and let me know. Um, but we are looking forward to um, supporting Matt, and I can't wait to see. I know God's going to show up and show out for this family. I just can't wait to see how fast it happens, <laughs> right? And so I'll keep you guys updated on that as we go along.
I just want to share a few other announcements before we leave this morning. Um, Throughout the month of August, we are going to continue to be uh, collecting school supplies for the Operation Christmas Child that's coming up right around the corner that we'll be packing those boxes. Um, So we are still collecting school supplies for this month. You should be seeing at some point throughout the week, or it may be posted out there, how much of each thing that we're still needing or how much they're asking for. Um, And so that can kind of help you to know what all we need. Um, I do want to share an update with you. The Restore uh, Back to School Bash was yesterday. Trisha said that it went really well, that we had at least, there may have been more that she didn't see who showed up before or after, but we had at least six volunteers from BFCN that showed up to support. So good job. It paid off announcing that every single week for, for months. But seriously, thank you for your support and being willing to give up a Saturday. Um, I heard that it went really, really well. And then I guess Adam is going to come and share something at this time. All right. Um, one last quick thing. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Um, we had a special day this week in the life of our pastoral family, in case you guys did not know. Uh, Bo celebrated a birthday. Um, I'm sure it was his favorite birthday that he's ever had because he celebrated with the Franklin family. So I think that was... He did say that later. Did he really? Yeah. I'm sure he did. Um, do you have it on camera? <laughs> no, sorry. I won't say how old he is, but I think he's now closer to 40 than to 30, right? This so is can... confirmed. <laughs> um, and also, besides wishing him happy birthday, I have a card here on behalf of the church family. In case anybody didn't know, a couple of weeks ago, he led our church camp that um, we've talked about. Yeah, so on, that's awesome. Yes, big... Thank you for that, for babysitting our kids for a week, (laughs) and I'm sure you're feeling the age now after that, so here you go. Happy birthday. I'm thankful for my partner in ministry. He is an equal part in my mind, and I'm just thankful for him. Thank you for loving uh, him and supporting him as you do so well with all of our families. So thank you for that. And finally, at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand once more as I share this benediction with you today. It's been a good day in the house of the Lord. Amen? I just didn't want it to end, so I'm just going to keep going until the clock says noon. I'm just kidding. We're really close. So, (laughs) Friends, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you go As you navigate the everyday, ordinary, mundane moments of life, may you be filled with joy and hope and know that Jesus is with you and that the glory and majesty of God can be experienced every day in every moment if you're open to it. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.